taken from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent us sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Miranda. Shall we pray? Father God, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning to hear what you would say to each one of us. Lord, take these words and minister to our individual needs. Lord, we want to meet with you this morning. Thank you for our worship this morning and the way that so far we have felt your presence. And Lord, we ask that you would strengthen me now to deliver this word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I'm very excited to be here, a bit less nervous than the last time I preached. Um, And this morning's sermon is called Provocative Power. But I'd rather call it Miss Marple and the Park Run. And anyone that has spoken to me in the last two or three weeks will have heard me say, yeah, I'm going to call it Miss Marple and the Park Run. When Joe asked me if I would speak on the Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, I immediately thought, no way. Um, I couldn't do that. Um, But I'll think about it. That was on the Friday. On the Saturday morning... Um, I was doing the park run, which is a five-kilometre run in Pomfrey Hill beside uh, Cleve Rugby Club. It's a free run. You turn up at nine o'clock. Sally's often there, brilliantly running, and a few others from Christchurch. And you set off with about 300 other people doing a five-kilometre run. And I was going to show you a picture of the run, but you'll just have to imagine it or Google it later. Um, God spoke to me very clearly as I was doing that run about the words that I would bring this morning. So I went back to Joe and said, yes. You might be switching off at this point, thinking, well, I'm never going to do a park run, so this is not for me this morning. And what has it got to do with Palm Sunday? Because Jesus didn't run 
into Jerusalem, he went on a donkey. Um, and uh, so at that point, um, you might be thinking, well, no, there's, there's nothing here for me. So the park run is three laps of Pomfrey Hill, um, the playing fields. And as I was running, I was thinking, three laps. Jesus' life, his ministry, was three years, approximately. And my study Bible helpfully told me that it was a year of inauguration, a year when he started his ministry, when he was baptised by John, when he was spending time in the desert, when he was um, changing water into wine, his first miracle, when he called his disciples. The, year, the second year was perhaps his year of popularity, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, healing Jairus' daughter, calming storms, telling parables, and feeding thousands. And then maybe the third year was a year of opposition, when there were questions raised about who Jesus was and how he could heal on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders were becoming concerned about his popularity, and eventually he was arrested. So that's where I'm going to stop with my park run analogy and move to my second imagery, which is that of Miss Marple. Because I found myself turning into Miss Marple at that moment, running up the hill, thinking about Jesus going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And I just had this starting point, which was... When did Jesus know he was going to be crucified? He knew to send for the donkey. And he was quoting the Old Testament at that moment. But when did he know that that's what was going to happen to him? In Matthew, we hear the Zechariah um, quote, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew those words, but when did he realise that it referred to what he was going to do? I thought about Jesus' childhood. So when he was a baby, he wouldn't have remembered the Bethlehem birth. He wouldn't have remembered all of those details. But I think his parents would have had him on their lap and talked to him about it. They would have said all about the angels and the shepherds and the magi. Jesus could have almost been saying, tell me again that story about, tell me again about those gifts that arrived. Um, I can imagine as parents, Mary and Joseph would have been telling Jesus about that time in the temple when they presented Jesus when he was 40 days old. Um, In Luke 2, it says, his parents marveled at what was said about Jesus. This was what Anna and Simeon had said. Can you imagine Mary or Joseph saying, oh, and there was that amazing day in the temple when these people recognised you? And when Jesus was 12, and we know his parents were um, uh, devout Jewish parents because we're told that every year they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And there was that dreadful moment where they couldn't find Jesus. Um, I lost Solomon once in um, Tesco's in Staple Hill. 
And I was rather panic-stricken. So some children kind of cling to you and they hold your hand and others just seem to wander off. And Solomon was quite confident and just disappeared. And I didn't feel I had time to run to the kiosk where the tannoy was to report that Solomon was missing and had lost my three-year-old. So I just stood near the checkouts and in a loud voice said, Can anyone see my three-year-old? He's in a high-vis jacket. And he was in a high-vis jacket. And there were people listening nearby, and they were each looking down a different aisle. And somebody pointed, yeah, he's over there. So I found him. Mary and Joseph had three days before they found Jesus. And he said said to his parents when, when they found him, that he said, didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. I don't know if I would have been quite so happy if I'd lost my child for three days. But did Jesus know he was going to be destined to die on the cross? Well, I think the more I read into the New Testament, he did. The more he read into the Old Testament, things would have just made a kind of resonated in his heart. And throughout um, John's Gospel... There are mentions of it. At the start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus told Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Again, in John 8, 28, when the authorities are trying to um, question Jesus about the woman caught in adultery, Jesus again described the future for him. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. A third time in John, we hear these words, lifted up, as in, for me, lifted up on the cross. Just after the triumphal entry, John chapter 12, but I... When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He was making big hints, perhaps about being lifted up on the cross, and also about being exalted, being lifted up. In Mark, it's more blunt. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. He must be killed and after three days rise again. In chapter 8 of Mark, Jesus makes it plain. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I've always read that as follow, as in choose to be a Christian, that kind of follow me. And I think I've seen it in a new light um, in these last two, three weeks. Because Jesus knew he was going to face suffering. He knew he was going to be crucified. And so he's actually saying, follow, follow my example. My example is that I knew I, was going to be su- I knew I was going to be facing suffering. And I still did it. I still carried on. The disciples didn't quite get it. We have hindsight. We've, we've read all of the New Testament. We know the story. Um, I like using a concordance, or if I don't have one to hand, 
Google is very good for searching where things are in the Bible. And I felt very much that sense of, what else did Jesus know? And in Psalm 22, I found this verse, they have pierced my hands and my feet. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions. It's a vivid picture of the suffering and the rejection that Jesus was going to face. So perhaps Jesus was a bit surprised on Palm Sunday when the crowds were cheering because he knew it was going to be a hard, he knew it was going to be awful. But maybe God wanted to, I don't know, encourage him at that moment, I'm with you. The crowd certainly had been amazed at his miracles, amazed by his teaching, amazed by his wisdom. But I don't think Jesus was relying on the crowd's praise. He knew he was speaking to the Father, his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that it was God himself who was with him, cheering him on. So my Miss Marple is now going back to the park run. I've done my investigation. I've thought about how did he, what did he know? And uh, for me, on a Saturday morning, thinking about doing the park run, there is a big temptation. First of all, will I really do it? I'm not a natural runner. I don't really enjoy it. I enjoy the afterwards when I kind of feel good that I've done it. Um, so in the morning, I'm kind of, will I, will I do the park run? Yes, I will. And uh, I think for Jesus, he... He knew that he was going to be doing that journey into Jerusalem. And he knew what was to come. So what God is saying to us today, what God is saying to me, is number one, be a detective. Get investigating the mysteries for yourself. He was walking, Jesus was walking in the Father's strength. He knew there were going to be hills to climb. I think he was relying perhaps on Isaiah 40. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run, not quite the park, park run, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Secondly, I think God is saying that we can all be an encourager. At the park run at Pomfrey Hill, three times you run up or walk up a steep hill part of the course. And there are marshals that supervise the run all the way around the, the race. And uh, some of the marshals are there cheering you on as you go past. Susie was there on Saturday. And um, those marshals are really helpful to me when I'm running towards them. And they don't know me. And they're saying, go on, well done. Keep going, you're nearly there. Sometimes there are marshals that don't encourage, and I'm kind of thinking, oh, I could have done with it then. So I think there's something about, for us all, being an encourager to those around us. Because I think that's what Jesus would want us to do. There's an example there in the Bible. Jesus kind of enjoyed that encouragement at that moment. 
And my third point, really, is to be single-minded. In Romans 12, we're reminded to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Jesus knew what was ahead, but he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Isaiah 50 talks of the servant setting his face like a flint. Jesus must have had such strong determination to go to Jerusalem. And as I finish, I want to um, talk about the words to a hymn that we actually sang last Sunday. It's the hymn, And Can It Be? Because there's a, the, the words in that hymn talk about, "'Tis mystery all." And the Miss Marple in me thinks, yes, it is a mystery. And as we go through Holy Week, we need to think about all of what that means to us individually. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? Amazing Love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Google tells me that Charles Wesley, who wrote that hymn, that was the first hymn that he wrote after he was converted in May 1738. I haven't checked that it's true, but I found that on Google. Apparently, Charles Wesley knew his Bible really well, but he hadn't worked out in his own heart how it all reflected on him, how it all applied to him. And so when he finally realised, wow, this is for me personally, Christ died for me, that was when he wrote that hymn. And I don't think I'll ever read it again, I'll ever sing that hymn again without thinking about that fact. So I want to end today encouraging you all to be a detective, encouraging you all to be an encourager, and also saying, let's be single-minded. It's in our minds that we face those struggles, whether it's health or finance or work or family issues, whether it's our mental health, whether it's our physical health, We face our own journey, and we can do that with Christ, knowing Christ. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amen.